This is the Right Way Podcast. Right Way Podcast. The 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 Right Way Podcast. G'day, this is Martin Hughes. I'm the publishing director at Affirm Press, and I'm spilling the beans with Samuel Elliott on the Right Way Podcast. Well, thank you so much for that introduction to this episode of the show there. Martin Hughes, CEO and Publishing Director of Affirm Press. And hello to everyone out there in digital land listening to this particular episode of the Right Way Podcast Program with me, your host, Samuel Elliott. person whom you just heard introducing this episode is, of course, today's guest, Martin Hughes, who is the CEO and Publishing Director of Affirm Press, which is, it must be said, uh, full disclosure, one of my favorite publishing houses going around in Australia at the moment. Particularly like how broad, I don't want to say eclectic, I want to say something for everyone's sort of taste there of the titles in which they release. So they published one of my favorite novels for the year thus far, which was Omar Saka's Son of Sin, which has been award-studded, deservedly so. But I also like the fact that they publish uh, quite a lot of leading titles within the thriller crime genre as well, i.e. the works of Christian White, who I am particularly fond of, but um, I digress. So this is the latest installment in the Publisher Talk series, uh, which I started uh, because I thought it would be a really, really good idea really invaluable if I could make this uh, make this happen in terms of hearing from some literary luminaries discussing the industry because admittedly there's an industry that is not clandestine but can be sometimes a bit opaque as to its inner workings and its goings on even though it's so important in order to get Australian stories out there uh, for us so yeah it's incredible for myself an incredibly positioned uh, within a privileged sort of position to be able to talk to Martin Hughes and get the nitty-gritty about the industry as I have been for the other literary luminaries thus far but yeah so it was absolute pleasure to talk to Martin Hughes about the industry and about the inner workings of Affirm Press uh, particularly hearing about what's been going on post post pandemic I'd probably say as we're at that stage now as to what sort of uh, issues and problems that the industry might be facing there's always a myriad of them i.e. the cost of printing uh, cost of paper etc but yeah Martin kind of addressed all that as well as imparted their really invaluable advice of uh, what aspiring authors can do to make sure their manuscript really stands out within a sort of uh, indelible deluge I would say of manuscripts that would pass across Martin's desk and uh, various other people that work within the team at a firm press so yeah I kind of uh, can't overstate enough just how valuable that advice is to hear directly from the horse's mouth or be at the publishing director CEO of the firm press's mouth as to what you can do to really kind of uh, ensure that your manuscript stands out so yeah absolute pleasure to talk to Martin Hughes and I'd really like you all to give a big digital round of applause to Martin Hughes CEO and publishing director of the firm press talking with me in this publisher talk series the latest in the publishing talks series discussing the industry Martin Hughes, thank you so much for joining me on the Right Way Podcast program today. Hey, Don. Great. So pleased to be here, Sam. Thank you for inviting me. Look, absolute pleasure. I wanted to start off uh, with this publisher talk series. I've spoken to publishers, literary luminaries at different stages of the pandemic. So now I feel like we've kind of gone to this post-post-pandemic sort of stage where the lockdowns and all that sort of stuff are no longer kind of what's what's plaguing the industry, but I'm sure there's a myriad of different sort of issues that you're facing now. And I wanted to hear a little bit from you first, Martin, as to, to what sort of issues you might be experiencing within the industry. All right. Well, the, um, the pandemic did reveal, I think we are kind of normalised now to a large extent. Yep. The pandemic did, however, reveal some, uh, some real weaknesses in our industry, which are mm. playing out. Some existential threats, if you like. Uh, it was an absolute nightmare last Christmas trying to get books into stores. Um, which was uh, which hurt everybody, um, authors, booksellers, and publishers with returns over the past um, several months. Um, 
we've only got one printer for mono work in Australia, and um, they, they seem to be struggling a bit at the moment. Uh, <laughs> they're are big issues. It's it's um, uh, and and booksellers uh, they, they they struggle all the time. You know, we 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 really um, basically. I remember one of my favorite sayings about book publishing was um, I. I unfortunately I only heard it several months after I became a book publisher was that on paper the business doesn't work mm. and you look at it and it doesn't it's ridiculous you know um uh, the small margins the the sale of return it's just cactus you would never get into this business if you wanted to make money but somehow um book lovers between us collaborating like a one big living organism we create this successful industry um and it astonishes me really when when, when you look kind of drill down looking deeply into the detail but um yeah we're, we're greater than some of our parts you know we we book lovers create a sort of magic that has uh created this industry but no part of it can we take for granted mm. what do you attribute to so you, you mentioned the publishing in terms of the printing and there's, I didn't, I didn't know there was only one printer that was sort of available at the, at the moment or being in use. And what then with the, it being appearing on paper that it's, it's, it's not viable, like it can't work and the sums are greater than the parts. How does it all sort of come together? Is it, is it just through this marriage of, of titles being snapped up at a popular and therefore becomes, becomes enough to become profitable in order to kind of keep the lights on? How does that sort of work? Well, look, I think I think the greatest lesson I had uh, as a publisher, like I, I became a publisher because I had these kind of grand ambitions of, um, I, I was a kind of failed writer myself. Um, but I had this grand ambition of kind of generating ideas, finding writers, um, discovering great um, authors and utilizing the infrastructure to connect with an audience. Well, that's bullshit. It doesn't happen at all. Essentially, whatever we we might like to think of ourselves as publishers, we're essentially in the bookstore supply business. Mm. You know, we have to give the the booksellers what they confidently think will work for them, what they can sell. And um, and so when we started out at a firm press, uh, I I genuinely didn't have a clue about any of that. Um, I was just flailing around. I, a firm press started because I, I I wrote my own book, The Slow Guide to Melbourne. And um, that was a complete DIY job. I did all of it myself um, in the publishing um, aspect, selling it, uh, publicizing it, marketing it. And, and despite my my lack of expertise, it worked. It was it was successful because because of a surplus of passion. I kind of pushed it through and um, and, and I made it work. And then another publisher um, who, who actually knew what they were doing wanted to co-publish the slow guide as a series. So then we added um, Sydney, London, and Dublin, and then um, the series was a bit of a disaster. <laughs> but by that stage, I kind of had the, uh, the, the the infrastructure of uh, a book publishing business. So I just kind of plodded along uh, part-time while I had another job. Um, I forget what the question was here, Sam, so you might have to kind of cut me off here before I just start banging on about something well, um, you've, relevant. You've raised a few good points that I kind of wanted to go into anyway. So you mentioned about the surplus of passion, number one, and number two, in terms of giving the booksellers what they want. And I think that kind of harkens back to what you also mentioned there with the it's sort of uh, the industry on paper, it doesn't work, but it does work in practice. 
And I'm wondering then, because the titles and full disclosure of Impress is one of my favourite publishing houses in Australia because of the eclectic. Now, I don't want to say eclectic. I think I said in the intro when I pre-recorded it that there's something for everyone. So time and time again. So one of my favourite books is you. Sorry? Eclectic is good, you know, like just on that point, when we started off, we we always wanted to be a, a broad trade publisher. We always like um, in, in a market as small as Australia, you can't afford to be a niche publisher if you want to grow and have have ambition. And so we um, we wanted to provide books for wherever there were readers. And so at the start, we often got a lot of um, uh, flack about not having a clear identity. And we we're like, what's what's the problem? Like, I mean. Us on our staff, we we don't only read one sort of book. Why did would you expect our output to be so niche? And so, um, yeah, so that's that's why um, eclectic is, is is a good kind of description for for what we do. Wherever their readers, we want to be providing them with books. Yeah, well, I mean, it works time and time again because like one of my favorite books of the year is Son of Sin, um, but then I also like Christian White. You guys publish him, and then yeah, you must take risks, but then they constantly pay off. I mean, one of the I think it was the I don't know if it, I'm not gonna quote myself in terms of the numbers, but I'm sure it's it was definitely, if not the, then definitely like second to the best-selling books of when it came out was the um, Dictionary of Lost Words, which I think is like just being reprinted yeah. so many times and this international yeah. bestseller. So then, Martin, and you mentioned about the eclectic and how that's, that's an apt description. What makes a title stand out then because if you're if you're if you're willing to take on any sort of title that intrigues you then what makes a title intrigue you presumably because i don't, I don't know how many thousands would come across your desk or various different yeah. people within a firm press what does then make a title stand out well it's a good sign that when you just kind of build up to that question the hairs on the back of my neck start to tingle so I feel like I'm still kind of, uh, I still have vitality here. Um, the Dictionary of Lost Words is a really good example, actually, Sam. Um, Pip Williams, uh, awesome South Australian uh, author. She basically submitted to our, um, you're not allowed to call it the slush pile anymore. Um, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not. Yeah. And, um, and so one of my uh, team, Ruby, uh, discovered Pip's memoir, which was uh, which we ended up calling One Italian Summer, and it's basically a memoir about her um, going to live in Italy for a year with the family and the um, the the hilarious kind of uh, consequences of of, of uh, acting on such a whim. Anyway, we decided to publish that because travel memoirs, evergreen category, uh, booksellers always keen to to uh, to to, uh, to 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 back to support them. And we knew that Pip had a really good voice in her writing, and so we went, yeah, this is easy. It's not going to cost us much. Um, let's uh, let's let's make a success of it. And then we discovered that um, that actually exceeded our expectations. That little book, and um, but what was the best part of it was Pip was just awesome to work with. You know, she was just a fantastic collaborator. So then, when um, uh, we were we were kind of talking to Pip about other books in the same sort of um, uh, genre as uh, One Italian Summer. And she was like, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm keen to write a novel. And then she told us about the novel and then, oh my God, the hairs on the back of my neck went crazy again. And then we're like, all right, well, show us, show us what you've got. And she showed us, um, uh, I think it was about 30, 40,000 words. Mm-hmm. And it was brilliant. It was, and I knew it would be, um, it, I knew booksellers would love it. 
mm-hmm. you know, um, just the nature of the story um, and, uh, and, and, and the skill of Pip. And we already knew that she was a terrific collaborator. So we just backed it boots and all. And um, yeah, we've, we've made it one of the most successful um, Australian books of the last decade. Uh, ironically, it was published the month that, that COVID hit. Mm. And um, uh, we could, Pip couldn't even have a launch, but um, uh, it just—it was just the perfect tonic for for, for those times. You mentioned- so that was that, that was a pretty obvious one um, for me. Like the, the hook was really good. I knew it would have international um, potential, and and it did. And um, uh, it's just gone fantastically well. Do you reckon, Martin, that your sort of prominence of being a, a writer as well, like you said failed writer, but you obviously weren't because it was it was successful, but do you think that that has allowed you to kind of be able to form these sort of connections closely with your various different authors that you you kind of um, do sort of, I mean, there was one mentioned somewhere on the website that talked about uh, a firm's not interested in a one-off sort of, sort of situations. It's more about developing long-term relationships and I guess this kind of will maybe potentially also harkens back to how the industry is the sum greater than its parts in terms of everyone collaborating long term is I guess how everyone can kind of uh, stay with the lights turned on because if you have that then relationship and you have someone who's prolific I think Williams that you can produce these books like this and then they just go gangbusters yeah I definitely think like I mean where um like we bring it back to me from a publishing perspective. Like, mm. uh, like I was just kind of uh, plodding along, not having the first idea about what I was doing, to be to be honest. And and passion can only get you so far. And then it was only when um when I teamed up with Kieran Rogers, who who actually did know what he was doing, that a firm, that we, we committed to a firm press full time and we actually got traction. So he's the brains of our business. Um, I'm just I'm I'm the kind of passion um, I guess, and when you're talking about having kind of simpatico or empathy with uh, with authors, because I, I I used to want to be one, maybe, but genuinely, like the the thing that strikes me or the thing that I'm most satisfied about is um, uh, working with uh, with many most of our authors, and when you're working on a really close edit or something, um, it doesn't feel like work. Mm. It's it, it they feel like it feels like a passion project, and so you're not thinking, oh, the day's too long. You're thinking, oh, I need to like you just make time to to do these jobs. You know, I mean, I remember um, I won't mention the book or the author, but uh, we were having a really tricky situation uh, a few years ago, and working weekend after weekend on this book, and um, and it was running so late that we couldn't even get an arc out to the market. And I was like, oh, no, we're gonna have, we might have to pull the pin on this. And anyway, um, uh, it was it was it, it, on the surface. It seemed like a very stressful situation, but it didn't feel stressful to me at all because I was loving it. I was so pumped up about it. Anyway, that book probably got the best reviews we've ever had of any book. And uh, I, I drew enormous satisfaction from from that. Um, and then you just kind of withdraw and the um, and the. Uh, and uh, the author gets the celebration uh, that that they that they deserve, and it's, I find that really satisfying part of our business. Yeah, of course, absolutely. I can totally understand why. I mean, <laughs> that's that's the best sort of result you could possibly have is not to be at wars, I guess, with an author, but also to kind of work towards the same goal and then share in this sort of affinity or passion yeah. for. So, I remember why, Sam. I remember why I was telling you about like um, uh, why I was kind of uh, flailing around in the dark until I got a partner. That's why it's so difficult for authors. You know, because it's such a solitary um, uh, business. And um, I mean, writing groups are, are, are very useful and all, but I, I sometimes, you know, like um, 
I often get uh, manuscripts from from uh, from people who, who who you can tell are in writers groups because mm. they sort of they sort of diluted their own style, like they're they're yep. they're, they're taking on too many opinions. Um, I it's 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 very very difficult to understand. Like, uh, but to, for a writer to get some sort of partnership that's going to um, challenge them and and, um, and 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 lift them. Um, but I I would think from a, a, an author's perspective, the best thing that you can try and do is make a relationship with a publisher. You know, and um, and we're very much about um, about collaborations and relationships. And if um, if if a book doesn't work, and it could it could be a great book, and you could do all mm. the right things, and it still might not work. You know, like it's just there's a, there's an element of luck and timing involved. But if even if a do, book doesn't work, as long as that author has been um, a good collaborator and um, mm. enjoyable for me and my our team to work with, then we'll happily go again. We'll kind of dust ourselves off, look at what we might have, um, uh, might might do differently for the next time, and then give it another crack. Um, and I, 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 I would encourage all kind of uh, authors to try and get that sort of partnership with somebody um, in a publishing company. That's the best kind of partnership you could possibly have, though, because, I mean, like, I know it's one of the, the uglier sort of underbellies of what can potentially happen with, a, with an author that might have a really successful novel and they might do something that's really different for the next and yeah, potentially it might not work or it might have seemingly from a published perspective might potentially alienate the audience that have established of the first and say, well, this isn't going to work and then can, you know, subsequently or consequently drop that uh, author and that's then they right. kind of scramble around. So that's kind of the worst sort of yeah. case scenario. Beware of the high advances as well. I'd, I'd recommend, you know, because the problem with the high advance, if you don't earn it out, you're kind of like uh, that. That publisher is probably not going to back you again. Yeah. And then other publishers would be thinking, why didn't they stick with that publisher? So, I would, I would like. Um, I mean, it's it's the the royalty is standard that authors get on books. I would, I would. I mean, um, if you can, just try and be patient, and and um, it's about when you get the money, uh, you know. And and um, it's th- th- there's nothing more motivating for an author. I, I know this from experience than getting royalty statements that show your earning. Yep. And at the same time, um, there's nothing more demoralizing when you're trying to uh, uh, trying to um, uh, run run a career to get royalty statements in the red, mm. you know, that show you that feel like they're, they're in debt. But I'll give you a good example of, of what um, what you're just describing. We got an author uh, last year um, uh, came through to me. Sean Wilson is his name, and he wrote this book called "You Must Remember This," and um, it was basically uh, uh, written from the uh, perspective of uh, an elderly woman with dementia. And it was a terrific book, and and I just thought, oh, like this has to I, we we have to publish this. I also thought, I don't know how we're going to sell this. Yeah, how we're going to sell it? Yeah. Like, it's it's a it's a tricky one. A debut author, a, um, a protagonist with dementia. Um, it's 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 going to be it's going to be hard, but uh, you, you just it, this just has to see the light of day. Um, anyway, I, I got chatting to Sean, and he said, "I'm also writing this other novel," and he told me about this other novel basically called Gemini Falls, which is um, uh, revolving around a, um, uh, a historical um, crime. I was in a small country town during the Great Depression. I was like, yes, bingo. This is going to be much more, um, much more to booksellers tastes. Hmm. So let's I'll, I'll take both those books. Thank you very much. Let's flip the order of them. Um, we will do Gemini Falls first. 
hopefully make a big splash with that, get you a reputation with booksellers. And then we will come out next year um, with, um, you must remember this. And uh, and those booksellers who successfully sold Gemini Falls will be more inclined to um, uh, to, to, to support you and, and you'll reach um, more readers, you know? And that's what I would encourage um, uh, writers to do it's the same sort of dynamic as um, as I discovered was necessity as a publisher. Give the bookstores what they want, mm. and then once you've built up a um, uh, a, um, uh, a level of credibility, and um, uh, then you can be more innovative and, and experimental, and um, and then uh, booksellers will support you, and your audience will follow you. But if you try and be, if you try and come out really experimental. Um, uh, with, with the first book, it's going to be hard to launch a career. Mm. Not it's possible. Just, it, it just seems kind of what I'm hearing is that you just got to find the people that are willing to, to be your people and work with you in this regard long term. Like you said, in terms of flipping the reverse order of the book so that so that you can establish some sort of uh, fan base to then maybe make the more sort of experimental one with your next forthcoming title there. Ron, what about... You mentioned your own sort of briefly, you mentioned kind of uh, you, you got into publishing, you didn't really know what you were doing, uh, but then you united with Kieran Rogers, I think you mentioned was yep. the, the name. What advice would you have given to yourself uh, as someone within the, their formative sort of setting off period and kind of would be related to listeners as well that would also maybe have the desire and the grit to maybe plunge into publishing with this, within this sort of capacity, but uh, advice essentially you wish that you were given and maybe took and maybe made the, the road that's that little bit smoother. Yeah, I mean, um, like, don't be afraid to fail. Uh, that mm. was that was something that held me back as a, um, a, as a young man, um, definitely. You know, um, I definitely think uh, I call myself a failed writer. I never really gave it a proper crack because I was afraid to be rejected. Um, but yeah, don't be afraid to fail. Uh, and I think I kind of got around that by just like what I alluded to earlier on, like a, a, um, a, a surplus of passion, um, making up for a deficit of pragmatism. And, um, and I, you cool. know, I've got imposter syndrome, like, like everybody, you know, but part of me also just goes, fuck it. Like that person can do it. I think, I think they've got, I um, don't have any more talent than, than I do. If they can do it, why can't I give it a crack? So don't be, don't be afraid to fail, you know, and um, I would definitely as a, um, if I was a writer now um, trying to cut my teeth and, and kind of get some traction, I would just make as many relationships as possible um, with people in the publishing industry, not just authors. Uh, authors are great kind of um, like I, I, I do, I do envy the, um, the the community of of, uh, of of writers and the mutual support they provide one another, but um, I think that can also become a bit of an echo chamber. And people, yeah. um, you, you might not be hearing the best advice sometimes. You know, you need to have you need to have somebody uh, who 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 works um, uh, at the business end of of um, of publishing Definitely. and who 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 will just give you their honest advice. You know, and and I. Um, I, I always give my honest advice, which is not always welcome. Funnily enough, I used to um, uh, I used to try and um, at the start, I, when anyone would submit something to us, we'd always read it, and I always wanted to give them some sort of constructive feedback so that it wasn't a waste of time. Anyway, the abuse we used to get, <laughs> you know, what, what would you know? It's like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> 
I mean, they're, they're probably right. Back back then, I didn't know very much at all, but I, I, I was just giving my my opinion. But it it, it wasn't welcome. Um, I would I would um I, I would be more open to uh to to constructive criticism uh if I if I had to go around again. Yeah, look, constructive criticism is definitely good, but like you also mentioned as well before with writing groups, and I think you put that quite well in terms of how you can tell someone's being their voice is sort of diluted from their actual voice because they've they've, they've taken too much feedback on they've they've had you know if you go into a room and ask 10 people their opinion on one of your your novels you'll get 10 different you know disparate clashing sort of opinions as to what needs to be worked on so it can be kind of a really double-edged sword like that and I guess you can only I would also say Sam from our perspective what we're looking for is uh like we, we we're happy to see raw material hmm. you know a lot of authors will will go to a lot of effort um drafting and redrafting and redrafting in consultation with lots of other writers possibly editors freelancers this that and the other and then they send something to you and and like um like it's, it's been it's eight drafts in and as far as they're concerned it's, it's the best it possibly can be and then mm. we'll look at that and 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 we'll, we'll say okay it kind of it holds up it's 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 intact but it doesn't it's not really strong enough to to um uh to to, to make a difference whereas we've and 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 then if you acquire that book and then you go it's good but we want to make all these changes the author has been through those changes so many times so many. that they're almost reluctant to, to to listen to you, and it becomes a bit of a drag. Whereas we're really keen just to see raw material, authenticity, um, a unique style, identify potential, and then help you build something. Kind of segueing to that, or related to that, I guess, is the the new sort of um, mentorship that you guys are working with, Affirm and Ventura. The no sweatshop, sweatshop. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, tell me a little bit about that because that seems to be like the crux of what you're talking about there, which is taking something oh. that might be raw or not yet. The, um, the, the, the relationship with Sweatshop is one of, the, one of the most fulfilling things that um, that I've done in my career and um, I wasn't even responsible for it. Um, basically, uh, Sweatshop uh, Literacy Movement in Western Sydney um, works with um, uh, marginalised writers. Uh, it's Mohammed um, Ahmed and uh, Winnie Dunn run it, and they they, they work with them um, with with young writers in Western Sydney, trying to help them hone their craft. And so we actually were going for a load of uh, um, uh, pitches uh, um, that, uh, for, uh, to writers of colour, and we were we weren't getting them. And it was kind of annoying. Um, and I, I, was, I couldn't understand why we weren't getting them. And I still don't really know why, probably because we weren't paying silly money for them. But anyway, um, we, we really wanted to, uh, to do our bit to, uh, to promote greater diversity in, um, in, in, in Australian publishing. And so a colleague, Ruby, um, who uh, discovered Sweatshop and we, re- we reached out to him and said, what do you guys actually need? What, what could we do to, to help you out? And Mohammed basically said, well, we're doing a good job already of helping authors develop their own style. Mm. Um, what we're not able to do is provide a bridge between them becoming better writers and bridge to, to them getting published. Yep. So we basically developed this mentorship with them, whereas they would, they would nominate two candidates every two-year cycle. And we would work with those authors for two years um, uh, uh, just the way a normal publisher would do, um, trying to get them uh, to get their work up to scratch, up to a publishable standard, and um, that's been hugely successful. We um, the, we 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 signed up the first two books, um, 
uh, Shirley Lee and um, Sarah Saleh, uh, whose books will be coming out next year. And now we've got two more um, uh, mentees we're, we're currently working with who are showing great promise. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's a really satisfying um, uh, mentorship. And uh, I think it's, 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 it's a bridging a chasm there that, that exists between um, uh, uh, potential authors and, um, and the publishing business. Very much so. And it also kind of, it seems like it's uh, in keeping with give the booksellers what they want, but it can be something in which they want, but they don't know that they needed at the time because they haven't yet seen it before. So it's like encouraging and nurturing originality and this sort of sense of a unique voice without kind of pigeonholing into, I guess, what has kind of worked in the past. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the key, you know. Like, um, uh, just coming up with kind of um, with 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 a good pitch, um, a good hook. Uh, make sure that the um the the, the manuscript is consistently as good as its best parts. Mm. Um, and um and and then just kind of backing it to the hilt, you know. And and authors also um need to understand that getting published is genuinely only half the challenge. Getting noticed is the other half. And um, and that can be a very very confronting um, challenge for authors who uh, often by nature are introvert yeah. um, introverted people who spend a lot of time alone um, writing in their room with, with the door closed. But it's it's really difficult to, uh, to to launch a career if you don't put yourself out there and 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 be involved in community events and any potential um, any publicity opportunities you get you've got to smash them. You know, you gotta, you just gotta, you just gotta be filled with enthusiasm, and you gotta convey that passion. Passion is the lifeline of publishing. Um, I've, I've always thought that, and um, uh, and that's why, that's actually, that's actually why we're so excited that next year, in our tenth anniversary, we're setting up our own sales team. Uh, it'll be the first time in this century that Australian publishing has got a, um, um, a new national sales team, and we've always been working towards this because. We want to cut out the middlemen. We want to re- reduce um, the, the the number of um, obstacles between us and the audience. Um, so we're we're really excited about what that'll what, what that'll bring for us in the future. We think it'll also um, it'll also allow us to publish more of the sort of books that we perhaps would not have taken on in the past because we didn't have our own sales team. Um, uh, so yeah, you caught me at a really good time. I'm very excited about the. Um, Actually, I'm always very excited about the business. To be honest, um, I when when I left school, my ambition was to retire without ever having had a job I didn't enjoy, and um, I I I did that brilliantly for the first twenty years of my career. I had had the best jobs you couldn't you, you wouldn't believe. And then when I kind of got older, I thought I can't keep trading on potential because you got less potential the older you get. So I thought I've got to create something myself if I want to. I want to sustain this record of never having done a job I didn't enjoy. And really, it might sound corny, but I don't care. Um, The most important bottom line for us at Affirm Press is that we love what we do. And uh, as long as we've got good plans and we're working with good people, everything else kind of look after itself. Well, that's so good to hear about the development of the sales the sales team because that, particularly if that's going to allow you to increase one titles that you might potentially take on and two take on titles that um, are even more unique and daring in terms of that that's yeah. just music to my ears. Like I'm, also, I'm reading yeah. a memoir at the moment. I'm reading a memoir at the moment, and it's it's terrific, and it's by um, it's by an unknown author, and um, uh, and 
like I know last year I'd be looking at it going, ah, oh, this is so annoying. It's terrific, but we're not going to be able to make it work because memoirs from unknowns are very, very difficult to do. Yes. But now I've got the possibility, like if we've got our own sales team and we can really yeah. press these arcs into the hands of booksellers and get them championing the uh, titles early, like uh, we've, there, there, there are lots more possibilities open to us. Brilliant. Brilliant to hear. I'd also like to hear completely on unrelated note, but the fact that you haven't had um, all too many unpleasant or unenjoyable jobs, because I assure you might not have had, bar my current job, uh, I've had pretty much nothing but uh, unpleasant jobs, but they've all been, you know, in their own way, ample sort of uh, soil to then develop a, yeah. the, the seeds of a, of, a, of a story there. But um, what I kind of wanted to end on, it's sort of the crux of We're ending already. I know we're going to end already because it's getting warmed up. I know. I know. But what I did want to end on is man, sort of the crux of the show is what I've always liked to talk about. And it's related to, particularly with your case, it's a bit interesting because you're writer first, publisher. And if there was ever a sort of a period whereby you nearly considered, for whatever reason, is giving up on the pursuit, whether it was the writing component or the becoming the publisher. If there was ever a crossroads that you sort of reached where you did perhaps consider and say, oh, God, maybe this isn't for me or any sort of example. Actually, yeah. Actually, there was. Um, when I did the slow guide to Melbourne, um, uh, which was like fantastically fulfilling um, and successful uh, thing to do. Um, and then I and then like like I explained to you earlier on, we, we ended up co-publishing it as a series. Mm. And then I ended up being a sort of publisher without a clue. Um, I definitely thought at times then that I wish I hadn't started um, the publishing company and I, and I was just going to stick with doing the slow guide to Melbourne and doing an updated edition every couple of years. Um, that, that, that did occur to me then. Um, uh, I don't know if that would have uh, been successful, but it certainly at the time felt like it might have been more fulfilling than, um, than scrambling around in the dark trying to publish books that <laughs> not, not enough people wanted to buy. Well, I'm glad that you persevered with it. Was it was it just something that happened to coach sort of organically over time where you kind of decided that you weren't going to do that? Or what sort of brought about that change, you reckon? Um, well, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I got a, I got a lot of satisfaction out of, uh, out of doing that book. And then I wasn't getting a lot of satisfaction out of, um, out of publishing. The, we were only publishing three or four books a year. It was very part-time then. But I... I didn't want, like, I refused to kind of uh, accept the commercial kind of necessities of the business. I was just trying to create a new path off on my own in the wilderness, but it was, it was just pointless exercise. And, and like, like I said, it was only um, uh, when, when I teamed up with Kieran Rogers and he, he kind of said to me, look, it's not a great book if nobody wants to buy it. I was like, oh yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> we need to, we need to kind of focus on, on, on that element of things a bit more. And um and and the partnership I have with Kieran is is definitely uh, a, a really big part of why um, uh, ten years into this I'm, I'm enjoying it so much. Uh, we I I envy people who don't have part, um, uh, partners to kind of uh, like the first day Kieran started with me, he told me that one of my ideas was a bit shit, and um, and I thought <laughs> you're the guy for me. Uh, that's, that's exactly what I've been um, I've, I've been needing. And everyone needs that, you know. Everyone needs that honest appraisal. Like, uh, yeah, like keep keep on having like having good ideas, but accept that every now and then, like they're they're not going to be great and not worth pursuing. So um, just try and get 
some get some sort of partnership and collaboration going in 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 your working lives. I reckon. Best way to do it. Martin, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you on the Right Way podcast today. Thank you so much for what you've done in terms of sharing some insight into the industry and your own sort of process there and how you got to where you were, as well as giving us some sort of insight into the sort of broader industry as well. It's greatly appreciated. Thank, thank you, Sam. Seriously, like uh, without podcasts like this, I mean, like, like, like I was saying earlier on, like we're, we're greater than some of our parts. It's not an easy business for anyone, like um, tr- trust me. Uh, but the more collaboration and openness uh, um, we, we, we can have, the better. And podcasts like this are a really valuable resource in that regard. So on behalf of the industry, thank you, Sam. Yeah, everyone, there you go. So that was me and Martin Hughes, the CEO and publishing director of Affirm Press, discussing the industry. So it was an absolute joy to talk to Martin, as you can see, or as you can probably hear from his voice, that it was uh, fully imbued with uh, just absolute passion for the industry and for bringing stories, Australian stories, to to the market. And yeah, it was an absolute joy. I always love meeting another human that just loves loves books, loves all things writing, and uh, kind of facilitates that and really makes that happen because uh, without Martin, without people at Affirm Press, without Affirm Press, people or places like Affirm Press, publishing houses like Affirm Press, those stories wouldn't get out, yeah? It's a very, very essential part of the whole process of uh, people getting their stories out there to fellow humans that love reading them. So yeah, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to Martin, really great human being, that one. But uh, in the interim, thank you so much to you as well for listening to this particular episode of the Right Way Podcast program, uh, particularly after I've had a little sojourn or a little bit of a hiatus, a little bit of a mid-season break, I'd like to kind of call it, uh, a bit of a break between uh, yeah, a little bit of a holiday for me, much deserved. And yeah, a lot more episodes of the show to come up, uh, about six more uh, for this year, and then we're gonna call it a year, or I'm gonna call it a year, and then we'll pick up uh, fresh in 2023. So if you're uh, going to apply or approach me uh, about appearing on the show, uh, I can't do so until at least uh, mid uh, March, April, possibly May of 2023. So please just bear that in mind, but yeah. Thank you so much to Martin again. Can't stress enough for appearing on the show today. Having a chat with him was absolutely joyful. Uh, and yeah, thank you to you for listening to this episode. If you haven't already, be sure to like or follow on Spotify or SoundCloud, wherever you're listening to this on. And to, uh, as always, take a perusal through the uh, what we like to refer to as the ever-proliferating back catalogue of uh, episodes there. I think we've got about 60, 60 strong now 60 plus strong uh, getting up to so it's been absolutely phenomenal uh, it's such a surreal experience in the most joyful of ways to see how the show's been going and how it's been engaging with everyone so yeah thank you to you for making that possible uh, you keep doing what you're doing listen to the episodes I'll keep producing them as well and hopefully getting to continue to speak to great humans like Martin but in the interim I bid you a good evening good morning or good afternoon whenever you're listening to this on and yeah Stay tuned.